0: How's everybody doing? Good, good. A couple of you are good. The rest of you still don't know. Hang over from the election results, I'm sure. We're just trying to figure out how we feel about all this stuff. So um, I feel like this is a caravan reunion. My name is Jeff Mickey. The last time I actually was in front of um, some of you high school students was at caravan. In fact, I'm still wearing my caravan bracelet. Anybody else? One person, so maybe I shouldn't be wearing that still. All right, hey, um, last week I was here, Tyler Ruane, um, what an awesome teaching he gave. I was so encouraged by his teaching. Um, I don't know if Tyler's here, but thank you, Tyler, for your teaching. Um, He shared with us that God is never surprised and you can never disappoint God. Uh, Tonight, I want to build on this great work and let you know um, that God will surprise you and you will not be disappointed by God. Actually, I want to revise that and say you may be disappointed by God at times, but if you stick with him till the end, you will not be disappointed by God. How Jesus shows up and works in our life, I think, is not always the way that we expect him to. Um, He can catch us off guard and it can surprise us at times. Um, Sometimes we can actually even be disappointed in how God shows up. But in the end, it's always better uh, than what we can ask or imagine. Uh, we're in the second week of this series called Who Do You Say I Am? Um, just like Jesus asked his friends, who do you say I am? Jesus asked each one of you here tonight, who do you say that I am? And he's not asking, who do your friends say that I am? Who do your parents say that I am? Uh, what do you read about me from other sources? Um, what, you know that Out on blogs or the social media or anything that they say that I am? He wants to know, who do you say I am? And I believe that if you want your life, To be the best it possibly can be, this is the single most important question you can answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus said to his closest friends, he said, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if we want to have eternal life, which Jesus' friends understood meant more than just life after death, it also meant a meaningful, significant full purposeful life right here and now then we need to know jesus and the best way to know god is by knowing jesus because jesus is the perfect reflection of god our father now this matters a ton when we die knowing jesus if we believe he's a savior and it matters just as much like i said it will impact how you live your life right now and determining who you believe he is will be the single most determining factor in the quality of life you live right here and now. I believe that. Of course, some of you might not believe that. Some of you might argue, well, who is Jesus to even make this claim about eternal life? But how can he say such a thing? That's exactly why we're doing this series. Maybe Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe he's not worth listening to. Or maybe he's the son of God and we should listen to him. I think what a lot of people do with this question is they'll ask their friends, or maybe they'll ask their mom or dad, or maybe they'll ask somebody who knows a little bit more about who Jesus is. or uh, Maybe they'll talk to a small group leader or something like that, or maybe they'll, like I said, read books or blogs to try to form an idea of who Jesus is. And I think we get some kind of crazy mixed-up ideas about who Jesus is when we do this. In fact, Elliot put together a few memes to illustrate this. All right, first of all, we have America Jesus Yes, America Jesus loves the American flag. He sings, God bless America, and to heck with everybody else, right? His greatest miracle was being born white in the Middle East, okay? There's prosperity Jesus. A lot of people believe in prosperity Jesus. He exists to make you rich, make you wealthy. How about hipster Jesus, Alright, He's got the glasses. I think he actually looks a little bit like Elliot when Elliot had his hair long. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But he kind of knows more than you, but he's a little bit nerdy, so it's all cool, right? Um, There's angry Jesus. Yeah. He's just waiting to take you down if you step out of line. I actually believed in angry Jesus for a long time. Still struggle with this belief about Jesus sometimes. Touchdown, Jesus. Right? Touchdown Jesus. He helps Christian athletes run faster and jump higher. And he determines the outcomes of games. And, of course, we point to him because he made us do all of that stuff. Uh, one of the guys, Jesus. We have that one? We don't have that one? Okay, one of the guys, Jesus is a guy who sits around and he talks with his buddies, drinks beer and smokes cigars, and he's real, just a good friend. I remember we went to New York City a few years ago, and it was, you know, Jesus is my homeboy, that kind of a thing. How about story time, Jesus? I love that. (laughs) Shoo! You're ruining my story. Uh, So he kind of paraphrases like big events that happened in our world or in the Bible, and he's real casual and he's real funny. He's cool about that. Or social media, Jesus is another big one for us, right? It's like I can feel good if I tweet something about Jesus and People get me a lot of likes, and I've shared my faith, and I've never really even had had to go out and get to know somebody, especially get to know somebody different than me or hear their story. There's misunderstood Jesus. That one's a little bit uncomfortable. Love me back or be tortured forever. That's a tough one, all right? But Jesus said and did some things that are hard for us to understand sometimes, and we can misunderstand Jesus. Do any of these kind of match your belief, or do you you recognize some of these about who you believe Jesus to be? Because I think there's actually some truth in each one of these. There's a little bit of truth mixed in, and then there's a lot that's left out about who Jesus is. In fact, I want to know right now who you believe Jesus is. Okay, so I want you to think about this just for a second. Maybe it's one of these, maybe it's something totally different. I'm going to count to three. And I know you guys are shy and bashful and you don't like to do this, but I want you to yell out when I count to three, who do you say Jesus is? Okay, and there's no wrong answer. So it's your answer right now, who is. You know, it could be teacher, it could be prophet, it could be friend, it could be savior, whatever it is, I want you to yell it out on the count of three. Everybody ready? Not ready? Need another second? All right, got five, four, three, all right, here we go. One, two, three. There were a lot of different answers right there. There were a lot of different answers. There was a lot of disagreement in this room about who Jesus is. And I just want to remind you tonight that your answer is the one that matters most. How you answer that question is the one that Jesus is interested most. And I just am curious how you arrived at it or how you will arrive at this question about who Jesus is. And I think the best way, the most accurate picture we can get... Is from the Bible itself. In particular, to read one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or maybe read all four of them, and we get an even more complete picture of who Jesus is. These these gospel accounts are full of stories that were written by some of the people who were closest to Jesus, people uh, who spent years of their lives actually following him around and living with him and witnessing who he was and what he taught and what he did. And they wrote down those experiences, and tonight we're going to look at one of those experiences that his good friend John shared in his book. So we're going to turn to John chapter 11. So if you download that Bible app, uh, go to John chapter 11. If you've got your Bible, it's uh, in the New Testament. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. The New Testament's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, and it's the fourth book. If you get to Acts, you've gone too far, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while you're getting there, I just want to say a couple of things about the Bible. You know, whether you've got it uh, on your phone, holding it in your hand, or whether you've got a book in your, in your hands. Um, the Bible is different than any other book, I believe. These are not just stories. Okay, this, uh, the Bible is by far the most verified and substantiated of any ancient texts. There are over 5,000 original manuscripts of the New Testament. And they were written very close to the time that Jesus lived and he died. In fact, other widely uh, accepted ancient writings, like Plato, come nowhere near the number of original manuscripts, or uh, were written so far after Plato died. And yet, they're widely accepted. They don't even begin to compare to the evidence we have. The Bible is accurate. More than a dozen, more than a dozen other Christian sources, uh, or, or other uh, sources that are not Christian, actually confirm the details that we read about Jesus' life in the Bible. Again, non-Christian sources are confirming what the Bible teaches about Jesus and his life. Based on all this evidence, the scholars agree largely that the New Testament is an extremely reliable historical resource for us. It's accurate. It's true. And not every question is answered for us, but there's an abundance of evidence that suggests that we can trust that eyewitness reporters are being accurate in the picture they paint of who Jesus is, what he did, and what he taught. And then you look further at a story like the one we look at tonight that has miracles in it. And the fact that Jesus' enemies in most of these stories don't refute that Jesus performed these miracles, experts say, is further evidence that we can count on this. In fact, one scholar, Mark Borg, argues that the absence of enemies refuting the claims of Jesus' miracles and instead acknowledging that Jesus did these miracles is one of the reasons that makes it, quote, virtually indisputable that Jesus was a healer and an exorcist. So who does Mark Borb say Jesus is? A healer and an exorcist. And he backs that up with large evidence because the Bible is so reliable. So I want you to know what we read tonight, it kind of can be hard for our, our minds to wrap, wrap themselves around this stuff, but it's not a made-up story this, I believe, we have strong evidence to support that this actually happened. So here's how it starts. This is John 11, beginning verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. These are clearly good friends of Jesus, right? They threw dinner parties together, hung out together. They did weird things at those dinner parties, like pour perfume on feet and rob it with your hair. I think that's a little strange, right? A little different than maybe making YouTube videos or something like that. But they're very intimate. They're very good friends. And now they send word that their brother is sick. It's one that Jesus loved. Now, why would they send word that their brother's sick? Because they believe that Jesus, we're going to find out later in the story, where they believe that Jesus could heal their brother. And they want Jesus to come and heal their brother. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now I think this is really strange, and when I read this story, I've been reading it a lot here this last week and a half or so, I get stuck at this point all the time because this is such a surprising response, I believe, from Jesus, right? It's, we're told that right away that Jesus says, this is not the surprise. It says, hey, this is not going to end in death. Um, it's going to be for, for God's glory because I'm going to heal him is what we're thinking, right? We're expecting, okay, that's pretty normal. He's going to go heal this guy, so I, no worries. I've got this under control. And then we're told how much Jesus loves his friends. No surprise there. But then we're told that Jesus says, because he loved his friends, he stayed right where he was for two more days. Jesus has the power to go heal his friend. And yet he does nothing for two days. Nothing. Nothing. He just stays right where he is. Can you imagine how shocking this was to his friends who know how much Jesus loved Lazarus? What do you suppose Martha and Mary are thinking when they find out that that Jesus has just been told their brother is sick, and Jesus said, you know, I'm going to wait here for a couple days and do nothing? Now, I think they may have expected him to say, hey, give me two minutes, And let me put my running sandals on and we're going to run back and I'm going to heal Lazarus. Or maybe they they thought, hey, I need a couple hours because I need to figure out a way around Judea because they just tried to stone me in Judea and we're going to find a different route home. But he stays for two days, right? This has to mess with Martha and Mary and with the disciples. I think it messes with us. It messes with me. This is not the Jesus that uh, I want, or right? it's not the Jesus that I expect him to be. But when I'm desperate in a desperate situation and I ask for Jesus' help, I, I want him to show up now. I want that help now. When my wife or my, one of my sons or my daughter needs Jesus to show up and I can't be there, and whether I can or can't, I want Jesus to be there now. And yet sometimes Jesus waits and we wonder what in the world is going on. It can be pretty discouraging. It can be devastating. I think it can start to destroy our faith. What do you do when God doesn't show up? You've been praying for him. You've been asking for help, and no help comes. I want you to listen to how Martha responds in the midst of all this. We're going to skip down... So verse 17, there's some great stuff in between here, I encourage you to read that, but this is how Martha responds, after waiting for two days, and then it took Jesus two days to hike the 15 miles back um, with his friends, and he finally arrives in verse 17, and it says this, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He probably died before the news even got to Jesus. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come to the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here she said, and he is asking for you. Lazarus has been dead four days. This is significant for the Jews because they believed that the soul would hang around for three days. But on the fourth day, even the soul couldn't stand the stench of the rotting body, so the soul would depart. So Lazarus is not just sort of dead or kind of dead. He's really dead. All right, And Mary is too emotionally upset or distraught To come out and see Jesus. But Martha runs up to Jesus. And I think in her response, we see two things that are important for us to know and to note that she does two things. She expresses her disappointment in Jesus, and she expresses her resolute faith in Jesus. And she says, If you'd only been here, this wouldn't have happened. I don't know for sure, but that sounds a little bit like disappointment to me. You know, it's like she's saying, if you'd come immediately when we asked you, my brother, he'd still be alive. It's not disappointment, it's at least hurt and it's pain. And we know that Mary is grieving as well. In fact, all these other friends and family have come from Jerusalem and they're mourning with them. They're in a world of hurt and grief. And it's all because Jesus didn't come when they asked him to come. But her answer also expresses a deep faith in Jesus. At first, she acknowledges that Jesus could have healed her brother. That's faith. I know you could have healed him. But also she says, even now, even though my brother's in the grave, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask for. She has an even now kind of a faith. Martha's saying, I believe you're an agent of God and his grace. I believe that you're still doing his work, and you're still fulfilling his mission, and even though you didn't get here in time to save my brother, I still believe in you. I still believe you're good. I still believe you're doing God's work. She's not saying, I believe that you can raise my brother from the dead. I don't think she believes that he can or that he will. We see that in the conversations. Jesus is trying to tell her, I can do this. Your brother is going to live again. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And she's like, I really don't have any idea what that means, Jesus. Right? She's kind of clueless. She's like, I know that he's going to be raised from the dead on the last day because that's what all of us good Jews believe because we've been taught that and so there's going to be this resurrection after everybody's dead. You know, I don't get the rest of that. But I still believe you're good even though you weren't here. This is still amazing faith. It's not complete faith. Right? But it's still amazing faith. She only knows as much of Jesus as she's experienced to this point. But she has enough faith that she comes back to Jesus. She doesn't run away from Jesus. She doesn't turn to other people to find another solution. She still comes to Jesus and opens this door for this amazing encounter that's about to happen. As Jesus is going to start to show her that he's way more than anything she could ask for or imagine. Who do you say Jesus is? How do you respond when he doesn't answer your prayers? Help doesn't come. Who's Jesus? Our culture is so wired for immediate results and for instant gratification. We can get whatever we want whenever we want it. So then when Jesus doesn't come, when God doesn't come to our rescue after we've prayed and we're expecting Him to, it's so easy to just walk away from God because we can go find our own solution somewhere else. We can find something to numb our pain. We can find something to distract us. We can find something to give us the comfort and the pleasure that we're looking for that God isn't bringing to us. So easy to walk away when we're hurt or disappointed or angry. Much easier than it is to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am so disappointed that you aren't here. But you know what? I'm going to wait because I still believe even now you want to do something in the midst of this pain and this hardship. I think about this with our friends and our family members too, right? We want to help them. When we see them hurting, how often do we try to take the place of God and we go and we try to be the Savior and we try to offer advice or we try to um, be the hero and, and give them a solution to their problem to get rid of their pain? And it's so much easier for us to play God, try to be the expert or the hero, than it is to just join people in their pain and say, I'm disappointed too, but let's wait here. I'll wait here and I'll look for God with you. Because I believe He wants to show up. Because He wants to show you more of who He is. He wants to glorify His Son through you. And I wonder how often we get in the way of Jesus doing something really amazing in our life or in our friends' lives by trying to fix things ourselves. I know in my sophomore year in college that uh, I battled a lot of depression. Um, I was going to and I. My parents had divorced recently. Um, I'm living off campus, but I have my own place, and yet I feel homeless because I don't want to go to either one of my parents' homes because I just didn't feel comfortable with that and like either one of them real well at that time. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my future. I was just kind of taking classes aimlessly, and I just had this depression, and I would pray and pray and ask God for some answers and ask for some solutions and all this stuff, and just nothing ever seemed to change. And I'd kind of express some disappointment, and I was crying about a little bit. And, but I'd come home some days, just defeated and drained, and I'd, I'd pop on the stereo, and I'd crank it up, I'd put in a mixtape that a friend had made me. And I'd listen to this music just laying on the floor at really high volume. And the, all this Christian worship and Christian music that this person had put together for me, I'd just lay there until I fell asleep. I look back now at how God had used that time to let my mind find some temporary rest from all the darkness that was around me, right? And to rest in the promise that this would not be the end, that he had something more for me, right? And he gave my heart peace and I'd wake up and I'd have just enough strength, just enough energy, just enough hope to kind of keep going and walking into the unknown, believing that God was going to do something eventually. Right I had no idea what idea how he was going to show up, but I just had enough to go on to expect he's going to show up right. He used that time to show me that I could trust him all the time. He surprised me actually, as I look back at how sweet these times were with him, even in my pain, even in that depression. These moments as I look back, were such sweet moments of fellowship just with him. I'm thankful my friend who made me that mixtape, right? Who couldn't be with me. She lived hundreds of miles away, but she'd made me this mixtape, and it, played such, it made such a difference in my life. And I still do this today. When I've had a tough day, when I've uh, disappointed myself, or I feel like I've let somebody else down, or I'm just uh, having some negativity or some criticism roll around in behind and these voices in my head, right, I'll head to my red bedroom, I'll put on my headphones, or I'll head to my car. Head out for a run. Either I'll crank the music or I'll just run in silence just waiting for God to say something. Waiting for God to speak. If somebody else maybe, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to hear us, but somebody else will bring me a song. I like the song we've been singing here. I don't even know the name of the song, but the song that we've been singing here lately in church that, you know, when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. You are good. You're good so true, and I need these reminders in my life when I'm disappointed with God. He is good, and he's going to show up. From the minute Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, this will not end in death, but I am going to be glorified through this, right? This is Jesus' primary mission in life is to glorify His Father, to make Himself known to other people, to surprise people with how much God loves them, with His goodness towards them, with the life that He has for them, with the power that He has and wants to use on their behalf. He wants to make people laugh about how powerful and how good He is. or He wants to make people fall to their knees just in awe of what He can do in their lives and to bring praise to Him. That's what it means to be glorified. It's all right there. At the start of that story, Jesus wants people to know the full weight of his goodness and his glory, his power. We go back to the story and it says, Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. It's going to stink. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's not a made-up story. I believe these events actually happened. Can you imagine when that dead man walked out of that grave and he was alive again? I want you to notice there's three groups of people at the end of this story who's standing there. I think there's at least three groups of people in this room tonight. I'd like you to consider which one you are. There's Martha and Mary They've been friends with Jesus. They know Jesus. They know a lot about who Jesus is. They don't know everything about Jesus. And Jesus says to them, I want you to experience more of me. But in order for that to happen, you might have to walk through something difficult. I told you this would not end in death. I didn't say it wouldn't go through death. Sometimes we have to go through hard things. But if we'll trust Jesus he will show us more of who he is and it will give us more life. Maybe that's some of you here tonight. You know Jesus. You've been following Jesus. He wants to show you something more. Maybe you're going through something really hard and you're wondering why he isn't showing up. He's saying to you, will you trust me? Whatever little faith you have, will you keep coming back to me? You can share with me your disappointment. I'm all ears. Wait for me because I'm going to show you something more about who I am. Then there's Lazarus. Lazarus is the dead man he's been dead for four days some of you are like the walking dead Elliot shared some of your uh, prayer requests after the worship night and I've been praying through those this week, read every one of them prayed through every one of them I know some of you are struggling with broken relationships you're losing hope about your family or friendship, some of you are struggling with addictions, temptations that are dragging you, some of you you just your faith is just dead Maybe it's a sin or something that's that a behavior that's that it's just kind of caught you up and you're just dead in your faith right now. And Jesus is looking at you right now and he's saying, come out. Come to me. I am the resurrection and life. I want to give you new life. I can give you new life. If you'll listen to me, listen to me calling to you, listen to me wanting to help direct your life Listen and obey and follow, and I will bring you life. And then there's the crowd. The crowd's the last group. And what does Jesus say to the crowd? He says, go and uh, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Some of you, your faith is strong. You've seen Jesus. You've encountered this life-giving resurrection. And there's other dead people around you. And Jesus is saying to you, go help them get the grave clothes off. He said, there are people who are waking up to Jesus all around you, but just like you when you first came to faith, they need help. They need somebody to love them, to help them, to walk with them, to encourage them, to remove those things and and those patterns of behaviors in life. Maybe even some old friends, they need some new friends to help encourage them, help them know more of who Jesus is. That might be you tonight, that Jesus is saying, go and help these other people who are struggling but looking for help. I'm going to invite the band forward. And we're going to close in worship. But as they come up and as we begin to sing, I would just invite you to think about who are you in this story? And who do you say Jesus is? Are you disappointed with Him right now? Tell Him. Share that disappointment with Him. Hang on to your faith. Are you dead? hear Jesus calling you, come out. I want to give you new life. You have a friend around you who you need to lift up in prayer. Or maybe you need to go and sit with them tonight and encourage them, put your arm around them, say, I know you're walking through some tough stuff. I'm going to wait here with you. I'm going to help you remove these grave clothes. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. We see this in your story here tonight. We have trouble understanding that. And sometimes the resurrection is the trickiest thing. It's the last thing that we can actually wrap our minds around and believe. People just don't come back to life after they are died. It's difficult for us. Lord, that's the truth we read in this book. Lord, we don't have to believe fully in the resurrection right now. We just have to trust that you are good right now and to take that next step towards you. So I pray that that wouldn't be a stumbling block for any of us in the room. Lord, if we've been disappointed by you, pray that you would remind us that you're doing this work in our lives, that you want to do this work in life, that you would encourage you to send friends around us to help us remember this. you send us a mixtape or whatever that is. Lord, help us to get a better picture, a more complete picture of who you are so we can answer it with confidence when you ask us, who do you say that I am? It's in your name we pray, amen.